Welcome to A Better HR Business, the podcast that looks at how HR consultants and HR tech firms grow their businesses and how they help their employers to get the best out of their people. Remember, for show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Okay, let's get started. Hello, welcome back to the show. Great to have you along. And I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with Shola Kay. Shola is an inclusive leadership speaker and trainer, fascinating person working with some amazing companies. And we're going to get into that in just a second. But firstly, Shola, thank you very much for joining me today. Thanks for inviting me, Ben. It's a great pleasure to be on your show again. Great. Yeah, we've spoken in the past, but your business has just grown and grown internationally and you're working with amazing companies, as I mentioned. So I'm really interested to hear how you deliver the services and all that sort of thing. But firstly, I'd love to just jump straight on in into what are the challenges and the issues that you're being called upon to help companies resolve in different countries and indeed different continents? Yeah, it's interesting. And obviously the business world is ever changing. The needs are ever changing, aren't they, of organisations? So the work that I do lies at the intersection of communication, emotional intelligence and inclusion. And I try and bring aspects of that into everything I do. And some of the challenges that we're looking at right now with clients include pushback to DE&I initiatives. And obviously there's a lot of very public conversation about pushback in the United States, but also just general pushback within organisations of, well, we don't need to do this here, we don't have any problems. So that's one of the problems or challenges that I'm looking at with clients. Others are around inclusive feedback. So of course, we know that feedback is really important in helping organisations become higher performing. And there's certainly aspects of inclusion in terms of the feedback, the way feedback's delivered, who it's delivered to, that sort of thing. So as I say, sort of around communication, around even with the pushback, there's a communication aspect there because you're empowering people to have the skills of the right language to be able to meet that sort of backlash and bring people on side. Absolutely. Yeah. So the pushback from the DEI and B side of things and also the inclusive leadership. So I'd love to find out exactly what does inclusive leadership mean and then how do you actually help companies? So what are the delivery methods in which you help companies resolve these challenges? Well, inclusive leadership, Deloitte did a huge study on this a while back. And of course, there have been other studies too. But it encompasses things like having leaders who have humility and compassion, leaders who are open, they're great listeners, they are proud, and they're sort of flag bearers for DE&I work. And they lead inclusively in a very public way. They use inclusive language. I think there's about six or so traits of an inclusive leader. And it's interesting because a lot of organisations, they'll put some sort of leadership training in place, but sometimes it doesn't have those inclusive aspects. So incredibly important to make sure everyone is brought along. And even in terms of this shift, you know, towards hybrid working, how are we making those environments more inclusive so people who do primarily work from home still feel that they are part of that organisation and that they're not being overlooked? So the main way that we deliver our solutions are primarily, for me, with keynote speaking. And then that's backed up with training programs. Sometimes they're more off the shelf, sometimes they're bespoke. And also I have some associates who work with me who are more on the consulting side of things. And they deliver, for example, assessments for emotional intelligence and areas like that. Because sometimes you might have a leader who doesn't have much emotional intelligence or a team 
that you know doesn't have much empathy or self-awareness so of course sometimes it's handy to be able to measure those sorts of things so that you can really say well look this is where you're lacking if we can work on this then we can really get a foundation together for the other areas got it i'm just smiling to myself because i just in my mind's eye i saw an old manager once or an old business director and he read a book and got all excited all right we're going to do this and tried to spread this whole book concept he'd read throughout this organization but it was just him reading a book and there was nothing to it so he was inspired and has changed his thinking which was fantastic so at the top level for instance you've got keynote speeches that do serve to inspire and get people thinking in different ways and starting conversations so i think that's hugely important i love the fact that you've got the training and also associate consulting to start to embed that new thinking or get the conversations happening in a structured way or getting the learning as i said embedded because otherwise things can dissipate so then hence you've got the consulting side of things as well is that a fair sort of summary Yes, yeah, very much so. Because, I mean, I make my keynotes as practical as possible. So um, I always give people frameworks. I give them even opportunities to kind of discuss things in the keynote. So, you know, they're getting that transformation there and then. But of course, you know, the rosy glow of a keynote can quickly wear off unless it's backed up by something a bit more ongoing, which, of course, is, as we say, where the training, the education, the consulting, you know, to really attack the bones of the business and the way things are done, those all obviously play a huge role. Yeah. I'm aware that you do do things differently with your keynote. For instance, you mentioned interaction, but there's surveys and polls and, you know, follow-up summary notes and all kinds of stuff. I just love that approach because I've been to so many either keynotes, talks, whatever, where someone just talks at you and they have not even considered the audience or the issues going on within the organization. To me, that's lazy. That's always driven me crazy. But can you explain some of those sort of processes that you do to make sure your keynotes are integrated to the needs of the organization? Yeah, absolutely. For me, it's so important to make sure things are tailored. So and it depends on the organization, but quite often once they've decided to go with me as a speaker, what we'll do is a survey whether it's across a sample group or it's across a team. So we'll do a survey. We'll ask them, you know, what are some of the challenges they're facing? We'll get some quantitative and qualitative data. And so then based on that, we will then obviously devise the keynote or the workshop or program. And so then during that session itself, there'll be a lot of interaction so that people feel that it's for them. It's not just somebody there just talking over them, as you just alluded to. And then what, often happens as well. I just did a big one for a global NGO last week and they really wanted this report. So what we do is at the end of the session, we'll offer to give a resource, whether it's a PDF or some notes from the keynote. And then in exchange for that, we ask people to complete another survey. And these are all, you know, quite quick ones, but there'll be some fixed response questions, you know, what did you find most valuable, etc. But it's also a great opportunity for the organisation to ask a bit more about, well, what do you think are great sessions for us to do next? Or this particular organisation, they wanted to get some more diversity data. And the session was on creating a speak up culture. And they wanted to ask, well, which aspects of your identity do you feel have most got in the way of your progress in the organisation? So those sorts of questions, you know, it's a great opportunity for the organisation to kind of throw in another quick opportunity to survey. Uh, But then also they get a really nice report out of that, which we then meet and go through. And so I might make some recommendations, whether other trainings, what's a great next step for them. 
they get to ask me a little bit about what I've seen with other clients. So it's a real win-win because I, you know, get that data, which is useful for me for further talks with other organizations or their own one again. And then they get the reports, which is really handy for them to go away and do their planning from. That's clever because yeah, sometimes organizations can get a little bit insular. We're just obsessed with what we're doing here in the next plan program that's happening and we can forget to see what else is happening outside. So I love the fact that you're sort of able to share learnings or help them broaden their horizons, let's say. And what kinds of organizations are actually calling upon you for the keynotes or the training and consulting? It's interesting because at the moment, most of them are really big organizations mm -hmm. and I do have some smaller ones I work with as well. But for keynotes, I've worked with companies like Oracle, IBM, Barclays, HSBC, LexisNexis is a repeat client, Bacardi, Capital One, GSK. Wow. So yeah, lots of really big organizations. And it's interesting because sometimes you come in, you know, one business unit might bring you in and then there's opportunities to work in others. And sometimes, you know, I'll just work with one unit and think, oh, I need to approach others as well. So yeah, I've been very, very fortunate to Fantastic. get to work with some really major players. Wow. Yeah. Who is it that contacts you in the first place is it just the hr director or is there a committee is it some other aspect to the business who would be the one to reach out yeah it really depends so some organizations it might be if it's a smaller organization it might be the hr director or the chro <laughs> if it's a yeah, if it's a larger organization it can be the dei committee it could be that there's you know the talent management area it could be external consultants that are putting on a program of talks and they come yeah. to me so it, you know it's across the board really all sorts of different individuals come or you know heads of learning as well can get in touch that's so good yeah because you mentioned the groups or the committees i know in my time we had groups of employee-led focus groups and things like that that would look after the, for instance diversity inclusion or even workplace safety all kinds of stuff so it's not just restricted or controlled limited to the HR leader or chief people officer, or it may be that there's access to different areas. Yeah, very good. And then on the training side, so if people want to get further assistance, they can turn to sholakay.com for training and consulting. Is that right? So how would that work? Yes, yeah, absolutely. So as I say, as a keynoter, you know, I like to feel that I'm effective, but <laughs> keynote can only go so far. So we really do want to back things up with programs. So one of my clients, for example, is... PMI, Project Management International. And next year, it will be the third year that I've worked with them. And so they wanted initially to do a, they call it the DEI roundtable. So over the course of a year, we had four sessions where people came along. It was sort of part keynote and part opportunity for them to, to learn, to interact around these major DEI topics. So we did the first year of that which went really well. So then I came back for a second year of these trainings. And then I did, you know, a couple of keynotes and things for them in different countries in the meantime. So those sorts of sessions are great because, you know, you build the relationship with the company over time, you get to know the employees, you get to know their challenges. Sometimes it might be over a shorter period of time. It might be, say, three or four sessions over six months or, you know, just a, a shorter engagement. But it's really great to have, you know, the keynotes as well as, you know, underpinned by the mm. training because you can really make sure that the lessons are well learned and you can really tailor to, to that organisation. And then in certain circumstances, for example, a client that I recently did a keynote for, 
One of the issues that was happening with them, and this is why I talk about the need for communication being so important with this work, is they have a DEI committee who were doing amazing things. They were going out, getting sponsors, trying to get new people into the industry. And what happened was they were sort of very much at the vanguard, really doing great work. And then the boards of the organisation were a little bit confused by what was going on. They were kind of not mm-hmm. understanding why you know they were doing what they were doing. And so the board actually said, well, look, DEI committee, we need to halt all the work that you're doing because we need to catch up. And of course, the committee were very upset. They felt yeah. like, well, we're volunteering our time here and you're stopping us from doing all this great work and making progress. But where you need to have those advocates and those activists at the front just pushing forward, but you also need to have educators who are making sure that they, whether it's with the senior leadership team, the board, the stakeholders, they're continually relaying, okay, this is why this team is doing that, or best practices, X, Y, and Z, you know, we've chosen to do Z here, this is the reason. So they're continually relaying that information back to the stakeholders so that they always feel that they're in control, they know what's going on, because otherwise what happens, I mean, that's why you do get backlash some of the time. People feel that they're not on top of things. They don't want to feel like, you know, the horse is kind of racing away and they're left behind in the stable. So, I mean, that's one very valid reason why backlash happens. The role of the educator, and I see myself as an educator rather than a an activist, if you like. And I always used to think, oh man, I should be at the front there, you know, with the placards and the all the rest of it. But then over time, I've realised that the role of people like myself, or even the activist stroke educator is so important because for a movement to be successful, it's not just the people at the front end, it's also, you know, HR, the systems, the processes, the people who do the building, all of that's important as well. So yeah, justifying my role here. <laughs> no, I'm completely agreeing because Go back to that manager that I mentioned, this business director who read a book and got all excited, but without the educators and that system and people pushing through throughout the organization, you won't get that change you want. So I completely agree that you need the activists, the educators working in tandem to push through that change. Absolutely. Now you have an English accent. Does that mean you only work with companies in the UK? (laughs) No, certainly not. I mean, I'd say that probably the last couple of years, more than 50% of my business has been with companies in the USA. Yeah. You know, got to go out there several times to work with different clients. And I'm quite excited to be doing more and more work with organizations with branches and mm-hmm. head offices and so on in Asia now as well. So it's exciting that it's such a, a global opportunity yeah. to apply some of these concepts and really help organizations move forward. That's excellent. So yeah, you've created a great business there and you're helping employers around the world. One thing we didn't touch on, I guess, is the fact that you also work with conferences. Is that right? You sometimes speak at conferences and events? Yeah, absolutely. So this October, I was in Amsterdam and Athens speaking at association events, you know, big conferences that were open to whoever wanted to come along. Mm -hmm. Those are great as well. It's just a very different kind of vibe when you've got people from loads of different organizations versus an internal company event, but they're all all very enjoyable. Yeah, very good. It's great that the work you're doing in the area of inclusive leadership, both in the keynotes and the training and also the associate consulting. If people want to learn more about you and about the business itself, what should they do next? The easiest thing is either to connect with me on LinkedIn and just say hi, or go to my website, which is sholakay.com, S-H-O-L-A-K-A-Y-E.com you know, feel free to reach out there. There's several forms you can just get in touch and we can have a chat. I'd love to hear from you. 
Very good. Yeah. And I've seen the website, there's some great content on there, both video and written format and all sorts of stuff. So I would recommend to people checking out sholak.com and accessing those resources and potentially getting in touch with Shola. We'll have the links to Shola's LinkedIn profile and the website in the show notes, but again, sholak.com. Shola, I really appreciate you taking your time to share the business and it's brilliant to see how many companies you're reaching out and helping these days. So thanks very much for joining us today on the show. Thank you, Ben. Take care. Thanks for joining us today on A Better HR Business, the podcast that explores the world of HR consulting and HR tech businesses. For show notes and downloads, go to www.getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. That's getmorehrclients.com forward slash podcast. Remember to subscribe and share the show with any friends who are busy growing a HR business. Thanks and see you next time.